So the title of today's message is Why Sunday Matters, okay? And all the people who need to hear this message are not here today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all kidding, I joke, I joke. Um, Why does Sunday matter? Why does coming to church matter? Well, let me tell you the reason that it matters. The reason it matters, and if, if I had to say nothing else, is that God is worthy of our praise and he is worthy of us coming together to praise his name together. If I say nothing else today, then that will be the message, okay? He is worthy of our praise. And he is worthy of us coming and bringing our gifts, our prayers, and our thoughts to him. But we also meet for each other as well. And I'm going to just kind of chat about that. But before I do this, I'm going to give you an illustration of exactly what I'm talking about. Just give me two seconds. I need to leave the microphone, I need to leave the platform, but I will be back, don't panic. My good lady wife, what did you say? Did I miss something there? What do I want? Now, I I got these flowers for Mary because they were on sale. And uh, you're not supposed to say that, okay? Uh, Because I had nothing better to do with my time this morning than to pop into Lidl and get some flowers for Mary. I just thought, oh, you know. Why do we do things like that? Why do we give, guys, why do we give our wives flowers or chocolates or whatever it is that your wife likes? Why do we give people gifts? There's some conversation going up the back, Alexander. You and I are going to have to have a chat about how you look after your wife by the sounds of things. (laughs) We do this because we love somebody not because we want to give them second best or just because it was on sale, but because they're special. Right? That wasn't on sale, by the way. It was a good price, but it wasn't on sale, okay? And why do we always peel the labels off the flowers before we give them, eh? Because we want them to think that it was £10 instead of £3. (laughs) But the reason we do that is because, well, the reason I do it for Mary is because she's worth it. And when we talk about worship, we worship because God is worthy of our praise. He is worth it. He is worth our praise. And so I think the reason that Sunday matters is because He is worth it. He is worthy of our praise. I'm going to fire on through a few other things, and hopefully my clicker's working. God's seventh day was our first day. If we go into Genesis, we read that God created the, the... the the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested and what God was doing was he was demonstrating the importance of taking time to switch off and to be with people God's seventh day was man's first day think about that it was his first day on the planet and God stopped to fellowship with his creation this is what the Bible says by the seventh day God had finished Uh, all the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. 
God's seventh day was our first day. God thought it was worthwhile taking time off of his work to come and spend with his new creation, to come and spend with us. Imagine what it would be like if God didn't take the time to spend with us. How would we feel? And the reality is that God spends time with us and we almost kind of treat God as if he's like on tap and he should come and spend time with us whenever, wherever, on demand. Does God make the same demands of us? I think God looks for more from us. Also, uh, the third day was a resurrection day. You know, there's no biblical evidence for the, uh, uh, the Sabbath changing from a Saturday, which it is for Jewish people, Seventh-day Adventists as well, by the way. Um, there's no evidence in the Bible that suggests why it should be a Saturday. Uh, changed from a Saturday to a Sunday. But here we are on a Sunday. Our day of worship and our day of rest is a, a Sunday. But the Sunday was also the resurrection day. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And perhaps we'll maybe find out why we worship on a Sunday rather than a Saturday. But Sunday matters, and we're looking at why Sunday matters. Sunday is a day to meet together, to fellowship, to worship, and also to rest. And the writer of the Hebrews knows the importance of believers coming together. And our main uh, verse today is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, if you want to look that up. Uh, I'm actually going to look, look up and read a few verses from before that as well in Hebrews chapter 10. Just give me a little second till I find it. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. And we'll start reading at verse 22, actually. Um, Hebrews. And uh, if we read from verse 22, it says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And our key verse here, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The context of what we're talking about here is drawing near to God. We read that in verse 22. It's about persevering, which means to hold firmly, but also it encourages us to consider Consider what? Consider how we may spur one another on. And the word consider means to perceive. It means to see. It means to understand. Let's get alongside other people. And we can only do that if we are alongside other people, speaking to them, listening to them, perceiving how we may encourage someone else and encourage someone along the road. To spur means to incite, not incite a riot, but to incite somebody to keep going, to incite somebody to really press on in their faith, to get alongside somebody 
and perhaps encourage someone. And verse 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And there are a few words in that passage, that verse that stand out to me. The first is that when we meet, we meet together. I don't know about you, but I have found myself with other people and didn't feel that we were together. You can be in the company of other people and not be together. We need to meet, but we need to meet together. And I think it implies a sense of fellowship, a sense of connection. And it all sounds kind of obvious, but I don't know about you, I don't always experience that when I meet with other people, even when I meet with other Christians. And the second is that we encourage one another. I don't know about you, but I am a type of person who needs a lot of encouragement. Am I the only person in here who needs encouragement? Just a quick show of hands. Do you need encouragement as well? Okay. One or two people need encouragement as well. And we need to be together beside people in order to encourage them. Yes, we can send a text or an email, and that's good. But there's something about being beside somebody and speaking so that somebody can see your body language, hear your words live, as it were. And I think one of the uh, issues of our culture today is the me and mine mentality. And I, I sometimes worry that that takes over from what we're trying to do as church our priority becomes ourself and our family. And church takes second place. I've talked about priorities in, in life before. I've talked about God first, then your family, and then the church. But that doesn't mean that church is relegated to third place. And sometimes we'll engage with church and sometimes we won't. I think the Bible has called us to be engaged fully in this body of believers. And I, I do recognize that we all have needs. We need time for family, and that's important as well. But I kind of think about my own family, and what is important for me as a parent and as a Christian is that my kids engage with church as well because it's what God has started for us. We are part of a much bigger family, a family called the church. You could say, well, I've got a life outside the church as well. And I've got things I need to do. And so on a Sunday morning, I might not be there with you. Why does Sunday matter? Sunday matters because we come together for a couple of hours once a week. Out of the 168 hours in a week, we come together for two because we come to worship God. We come because God is worthy of our praise. We come because we come to meet together. But for me, the life that I have outside the church is one thing, but the life I have inside the church is a life that should and often does propel me into the things that God has for me, to declare to other people the good news that Jesus has died so that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have eternal life that we can be free from guilt, guilt of our past, free from fear, free to face a future with confidence. 
I didn't find these things independently of the church. I found these things because I was in church. In church. Heard that message. Made a decision when I was six to follow Jesus. I remember clearly asking God into my life at that point in time. And forgive me for all my sins. I'm six. It was true. That's what I said. And asked God to come into my life and to help me to live the way that he wanted me to be. The life that he wanted me to have. And for me, coming to church on a Sunday to be together to encourage others and to be encouraged is God's will for my life. You know, we often think, what is God's will for my life? As if he's going to reveal some mystical thing from the skies. God's already told us what to do. And I think once we do the things that he's told us to do, the Christian message is a simple message. And the Christian life is a simple life in many ways. And we want all this deep teaching. But what's the point in getting the deep teaching if we've not put the basics into practice? I think the secret to Christianity is about putting the simple things into practice, doing the simple things well. Church is a priority for Team Roy. It's what we've trained, been trained to do. And it's what we train our family to do as well. Because the reality is that our kids will catch our values just as you catch a cold from somebody in your family that's got it. Somebody comes in with a cold, you're like, oh, here we go. Within the next five weeks, we'll all have been smitten by it because it's there, we live together. Well, our kids catch who we are. And if God is important to us, our kids will catch that. And hopefully, God will be important to them. We talk about training a child when they're young and when they're old, they'll not depart from that way. It starts from the very, very youngest when they begin to understand things and perceive things for themselves. And they go, actually, this is important to mum and dad. There must be something in this. And I remember life as a child, life in the pew, memories, uh, with my legs swinging on the seats because they were too wee to touch the floor. <laughs> and uh, having my wee toy car and playing with it on my leg. You know, this was the days before iPads and all these electronic things that are really cool. Um, and also remember the smell, the smell of the hymn books. Does anybody remember the smell of the hymn books? Yeah. We traveled around mission halls and uh, my dad preached and stuff like that. And I remember we would get the books out and we'd sing. And uh, I didn't understand lots of the words, but I enjoyed myself. And then I, I open up this book and I stick my nose in it. <laughs> and I'm transported back to all those services. Life in the pew for me as a child was different from the life that our kids experience in church today. But I wonder what our kids are experiencing in church today. Life in the pew. Well, we don't have pews. We have seats. And Andrew picked different colored seats when he got the seats. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. It's a pain in the neck when you're putting them out <laughs> and putting them away. What are our kids experiencing in church today? Is church important to us and therefore is it going to be important to them meeting every week and then there's also the fact that we have connect groups if you have not signed up to one and there's a sheet up the back Anne and uh, Marlon have the, the sheet there if you have not signed up to a connect group get yourself signed up to a connect group it's about meeting together but it's a day not only a day to come together it's a day for rest. 
and day for rest. And the principle of rest that we read about in Genesis 2, at the start there, is reiterated as the people come out of Egypt. And this is what we read in Exodus chapter 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant or manservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. That's a funny word. It just means a foreigner. Uh, somebody who is part of your family, lives with you. And I just wonder how seriously we take this command, one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of ten, a basic set of rules for human interaction, both with God and with each other. But the rules are there for our protection. And this particular rule is re-emphasized in Exodus chapter 31. If you read 12 to 17, you'll find that this particular commandment is reiterated, this one specifically, which makes me think God must be really serious about this, serious about the Sabbath, serious about us keeping it holy, serious about us meeting together, but also serious about rest. And the problem with our culture today, if we have a problem, is that we're just too busy. We're all far too busy trying to fill in every little space in our lives. There's not enough pauses, there's not enough gaps in life to reflect, to rest, and to recover. Sometimes we need to allow time for our bodies, minds, and spirits to get back into sync. Have you ever felt like that? It's like, Something within me is needing to just catch up. And the rest of me is going to have to stop until it does, whatever it might be. It might be that you've got ideas and you're racing on ahead, but you're, you've been really busy and you're fatigued and tired and your body's just kind of like, oh, can I do it? You need to wait for your body to catch up. It needs to rest. It could be that you're firing on ahead and you've got loads of physical energy, but in your mind, you're way, way back. We need to rest. We need to let ourselves catch up. I think it's a bit like um, having a nice meal. Have you ever had that lovely meal, maybe at Christmas time, or you've went out some, somewhere nice, and you talk about filling up the spaces, filling up the cracks. There's just a wee space for something else. Have you ever said that? Or is it just me? Okay. Maybe it's just me. Um, and we have to keep going until we're absolutely stuffed full no room left for anything else. I did this once. Um, we were at a restaurant down in Glasgow, I think probably with Andrew and Lois, many years ago, uh, a restaurant called the Koyanur Indian Food. Um, and it was, um, from memory, a buffet night. Um, and I absolutely stuffed my face. I thought, there's a little crack there. I'll try this and see what it's like. And I ate so much that I could not eat another thing. And I got to the end. They even served these things called gulab jamun, for those of you who know. Some people like gulab jamun, obviously. Uh, lovely, tasty, tasty. And I'd had that, and I, I just sat and I thought, I can't eat anymore. I'll just have a little cup of tea at the end to wash it down. And 
what happened next was not pleasant. <laughs> because when there's no room for anything else, then you try to put it in, it's got to go somewhere, okay? <laughs> but I think life can be like that as well. We fill our lives with so many things. We've got a little minute here, a little minute there. Let's fill it with some activity. Filled. Our lives are filled. We're always switched on. Our brains continually engaged. And scientific research indicates that the brain uses 20% of the body's energy. Did you realize that? This vast supercomputer is continually churning away, processing information, firing up synapses, sending messages everywhere, receiving messages all the time from the body, and sometimes the brain just goes, I've had enough. You need to stop. Stop for just a little minute. It was Stephen Turnbull that pointed this out to me. Even if we think we're sitting down relaxing watching TV, our brain is continually processing information. Gigabytes a second of information, probably more, making sense of what it's seeing. It's almost kind of like real life when we're watching movies. And we're continually switched on. Now I think about this thing called time. Time, something that we all have, but we never seem to have enough of. Why? Because we're trying to cram so much into life. And there are so many things which are important, and I get that. But the danger is that we are switched on all the time. Think about it. How many people do you see these days? And they're, you know, they're sitting having uh, dinner, and the phones are out, and they're flicking through Facebook and whatnot. Uh, all the different things. Steve George is doing it just now, but he's on his Bible, thankfully. Um, we're always connected to something or somebody through the technology. And this was in the New York Times uh, in a report written there. The average time that users spend on Facebook is nearing an hour. Uh, I'm assuming that's uh, a day. That's more than any other leisure activities surveyed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. When the exception, well, with the exception of watching television programs and movies, an average of 2.8 hours per day, it's more than people spend reading, which is 19 minutes, participating in sports, 17 minutes, you notice it's getting lower, or get this, social events, an average of four minutes. It's almost as much time as people spend eating and drinking, which is just over one hour. Switched on, connected, plugged in all the time. And in an article entitled Six Ways Digital Media Impacts the Brain, one piece of research suggests this kind of culture of constant distraction and interruption undermines not only the attentiveness that leads to deep thoughts, but also the attentiveness that leads to deep connections with other people. When we're fully engaged all the time, multiple social media platforms, television, radio, conversations, trying to read a book, trying to study, our brains are being trained to be switched on 
all the time. And I don't think that was ever God's intention for us. God's intention for us, yes, is to work hard, but is also to take time to rest, time for him. And just in case you don't know what the culture is like that I'm talking about, here are a couple of young people talking about their experiences. We will have sound in this presentation, Tim, uh, this video, just in case. Uh, and the video uh, examines what a couple of young people do with their time from the moment they get up in the day, uh, in the morning, to the moment they go to, to bed at night. So let's watch this little video. It's okay sound-wise, it's fine. My name is Alejandra and I'm 13 and like on a daily basis I go on my phone like in the morning and I'll check my Instagram, Snapchat, Kick, Twitter, Tumblr, Fine. I go to school and I come back and I'll use like I'll go on Netflix and I'll go to my room and I'll listen to like Pandora, Spotify. I'll play my Xbox like Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty and that's about it. If I were to add up all, like, you know, the time that I use, I think I would spend about seven to eight hours every day. Can help you? <laughs> when I'm on social media, I, I feel like I know what's going on. You know, you do feel a little connected and you know, like, what people are up to. Like, you know, I post pictures or videos. I'll, like, comment on stuff. I don't think I'm addicted to it, my phone. I think it's, like, it's kind of a leash, though, because you always have to be on it. And, you know, when I hear buzz, I'm like, oh, I have friends. I'm Sasha. I'm 16 years old. Currently, I have the Xbox 360 MacBook Pro laptop, the iPad, the old Xbox, a Samsung Galaxy smartphone, and a PlayStation 4. I like to play a lot of different video games on the console, on my PS4, when I get home and I just, you know, veg out sometimes and play. I have, you know, first-person shooter like Call of Duty or Battlefield, and we also have a baseball game that I've been playing. I absolutely think that there is an addictive quality to video games. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll just keep going if I really want to level up in a video game. Usually when I do my homework and I get home, I'll either come in my room, listen to music, or I'll go to the living room and watch TV while I do my homework. If I'm like reading something and I like, I get distracted from the TV, or like, I'll, I'll pause it, or I'll turn off the music, and like, I'll go through the problem again, or whatever I'm working on, because I guess I was just a little distracted. If I'm doing my homework on my laptop, I might be also having conversations with my friends, or, you know, intermittently checking my phone. Sometimes if I just get too bored of my homework, I might play, like, Candy Crush or something. When I was younger, I have could go much longer without using media, but when I'm in an environment that has a lot of media and all of my friends are on media, then I find it hard to kind of resist. It's something that Toby will never understand. Wow. Nine hours a day on, on some kind of form of media, and you think, well, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do all the things I need to do. Well, no wonder we don't have enough time if we're too busy doing a whole bunch of other things with our time than the thing that's most important, perhaps. And I think what 
we perhaps miss in all of the activity. And it's not just a young person thing. You notice she didn't use Facebook, but a lot of people who are older do use Facebook. Um, and we're continually connected to what's going on in the world, continually connected to each other, but not necessarily in a way that's meaningful. And then the Bible has this thing called rest, you know, the restful number seven. Uh, number seven being associated with completeness in the scriptures. Patterns of sevens throughout scripture. The most basic is our seven days. And uh, Jesus, when he was walking through the fields and his disciples were picking corn and, and eating the corn, um, the Pharisees, you know, the, the, the law police were looking out and saying, well, you're breaking the Sabbath, what are you doing? And Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. And so we've missed out perhaps on this thing called rest. I remember in, in, in church days many years ago where you know you would have at least five meetings on a Sunday and then midweek stuff. How how's that rest? How is that restful? Especially if you're leading meetings. Sunday isn't a day of rest for me. Not when you're standing here. It's not a day of rest. And we've perhaps missed something. I think perhaps the pendulum has swung way the other way. We have one service on a Sunday, as we do anyway, and uh, there are other things on during the week. But one service, one service on a Sunday. And I think that it's important that we meet together. I think it's important that we come together to encourage one another. And we read this in Acts in the birth of the church and uh, we read how they were together. They were connected to each other in ways that were meaningful. Um, let's, uh, reading uh, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And it goes on to say, everyone, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I look at what was happening here in Acts chapter 2, and I look at the church, and I think something was happening in the church then that was clearly working, because it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God was at work amongst the people. There was fellowship, there was worship, but they were also connected with each other. In the preceding chapter in Acts, there was 120 people meeting in an upper room. And in one day, the church grew by 2,500%. That's some statistic. It says on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 people, or around 3,000 people, were added to their number that day, and the church continued to grow. And I think it grew because they were doing something right Perhaps they were doing something in their day that we have lost in our day. Something that they knew about that we have forgotten about. Something that they put into practice that we have stopped putting into practice.